When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. I'm well on my way, dude. <sighs> Only about five years to go. Yep, 2027. I'm I'm gonna be trimming <laughs> trimming trees. Oh, Jesus Christ. Let's not start off another show talking about this. Fine. Well, a fine stickler. We'll we'll move on from the bonsai trees, and we'll talk about football. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to the South End Zone. Uh, another week, another guest telling us about another team. Uh, but first, as always, with me is Jason Bailey. Jason, what's up? Oh, man. Good, good to be back. It's been about 24 hours here. We put a... Put a couple episodes out this week. Got uh, the Nebraska episode out there, finally. That was really interesting. Had a lot of fun there. But I have a feeling that this one may be even more fun. I could be wrong, but uh, man, it's I got we got a ton of questions. It's going to be fun. Fun is like subjective, and it really depends on what you're into. But um, Yeah, that's true. Our guests may not have as much fun. and you He know, might, we'll, or he might not. We'll uh, time, time will tell. Uh, yeah, indeed. Speaking of our guest, uh, his name is Josh McQuistian. He is... Uh, Oklahoma beat writer for Sooner Scoop on Rivals. You can find him uh, on Twitter at, at Josh underscore Scoop and obviously on the Rivals site as well. But Josh, welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Wow. Rousing start for me there. Uh, yeah. No. Well, you know, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, this is um, you said you have a lot of questions. I think everybody has a lot of questions about Oklahoma right now. There are. <laughs> No sure things about this this team, this program. It all feels very. <clears throat> I mean the the range of outcomes are amazingly large. Hmm. Speaking of outcomes, one area that they did not have a good outcome last year was on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna jump right into it. Both feet, and I'm gonna hit you with some rankings. And I knew they struggled defensively last year, but until I sat down yeah. and looked at some of these, I really undersold how shitty they were on defense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in points allowed per game nation nationally 30 points a game 106 in the rushing yards allowed per game 122nd yards per game allowed 119th in passing yards allowed 88th in red zone efficiency 88th on third down conversion percentage allowed make and my it, personal make favorite, it stop 131st in first downs allowed dfl in first downs allowed <laughs> defensively we just got our ass totally kicked like how is my question like how <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, two part question: How did it get that bad? And then, second part is how how can they move forward for that? Obviously, they can't get worse, uh, literally, in one of those categories. But what is the way forward, and what's the actual expectation defensively? As far as how it got that bad, I I'm not sure there's a clear answer to that. Like, I mean, because there's no question, there's there's no measurement when there when that defense was playing to an acceptable level. I mean, you had a quarter here, a, a half there. I mean, you you look at the bowl game. 
like they played pretty well against a good Florida State team for about two and a half quarters. And I will say that kind of leads to the one thing that I thought was a consistent problem. That was just depth. They had they had a few solid starters, and then if anybody got tired, anybody got hurt, there was nothing behind them. I mean, you're you're talking true freshmen that weren't ready to play is your best case scenario. And a lot of the situations, those guys, it, it wasn't even that. I mean, it was just guys that you know. It's it's one of those things where I think following 2021 and all you know, everybody had seen. Oh, Lincoln Riley had all the success and all these things. For Oklahoma to go where they wanted to go, they were going to have to go through some growing pains at some point. But I think everyone always thought, well, the defense will eventually get it right, and you'll still have Lincoln Riley's offense to carry you through. That that didn't happen. I mean, like, you look at OU's offense last year. I mean, it was good, but it, it what Lincoln Riley was doing was record-setting. I mean, like, the, nobody's ever done it in college football stuff like that before. I mean, so – for them to be year in year out, they it just seemed like they had allowed, and you can see it in the recruiting rankings. Like you know, I do a lot of recruiting coverage, and you'd watch the offensive class be as good as anybody in the country. I mean, they they'd recruit offensive talent like Alabama, but then defensively, it was more like Wake Forest. And you're like, well, okay, you can't. There, there's there's you're going to pay the piper at some point. And I think that was the issue. And then when you have a program that you know Brent Venables, they want to build it all entirely on relationships we're going to do it that way you know we're going to make it very fundamental they had to go into the portal and find you know multiple starters on the defensive side of the ball that's not how they want to build and it it showed I mean like it just it was a fundamental problem from depth to talent to I mean you name it I mean like you aren't statistically that god-awful if you don't have a lot of problems like it's not one thing so how you go forward, the, the first thing you can address is, is talent. And I think they've done a good job building out some talent. There's some good young guys in that program. I think Billy Bowman and Danny Stutzman are both high-quality players for Oklahoma. And now they've got to get there, but I see the ability. I, I see a chance for those guys to be better defensive players than we're accustomed to Oklahoma having over the last decade, frankly. So you, you can start there, but it all starts up front. I think there's better talent there. There's not – they've got a young guy that has a chance to be one of those top 10 type picks someday. I mean, he's special, special, but he's a true freshman. He's a baby. You can't expect him to fix all your problems in year one. But they've got the Rondell Bothroyd kid that they got from Wake Forest. He is – he's really showed out this spring. I think a lot of people are really pleased with where he's coming from as a defensive end. So that will help with some pressure and those kind of things. But to me, that's what OU's got to solve is pressure. They couldn't get after the quarterback at all last year. They couldn't impact him. They couldn't move him. Nobody's tackling anybody. And <laughs> when you're doing that, I in the Big Twelve, where the hell are you going to go? Like you, you, I mean, guy, you're, you're playing guys who can sling it all over the yard, and you're just screwed. It's 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 a problem. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what stood out to me looking at their defenses. A lot of times the defense struggles. It's because oh well, they're just they're awful in this one area, right? They they don't get after the quarterback, or they don't play the pass but they you know they just didn't do anything well they were bad at everything and so like i knew they had some bad bad games right like i know they got melted against texas and tcu but i didn't realize that you know it was that consistently um as big of a problem because i didn't watch every oklahoma game but sure you know you you look at it you're like man they gave up 38 plus six times like that's you know lincoln riley teams were never known for their defense obviously but they were never 
Like that really felt like a step back. So as far as getting better with the depth, do you you feel like they've made a lot of progress in there or incremental? I think, I mean, I don't expect this to suddenly become a top 25 defense. Like I don't think. No, but if they can get slightly below average. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think that is possible. Like I think. If you were to say, you know, because I, I, I hate total defense as a stat. It's just so flawed. There's so many problems with it. Uh, but if you look at some of the um, the power ranking type stuff, like I really like SP Plus as one that, that I think provides a lot of insight into what you're looking for. You could, If you told me that defense was a top 50 unit, A, I would think that's the kind of what's what you're looking for. You know, like if they could do that and then you marry that with what should be a good offense – I mean, there's a lot of reason to believe that not just the defense, but the team itself has turned a corner. You know, you're like, okay, now now you're starting to move in the right direction. You can believe because I mean, this is such a pivotal year. If Brent Venables had gone out and went nine and three last year, this year is very much kind of you know, let's just see what happens. There, there's no negative out of that. You knew there was a lot of turnover. The roster changed. You lost a generational talent at quarterback. I mean, there, there was a lot of reasons where you could kind of excuse what had happened. But six and seven at Oklahoma, I mean, th- th- that's that's not going to get it done. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, I mean, and like considering where you've been, like it, it, when when Mike or excuse me, when Bob Stoops in nineteen ninety nine went seven and five, they were singing from the rafters because they'd been down for ten years. This is a program that had just run the Big Twelve for twenty years. And all of a sudden, like TCU, like you said, that I think that was the eye-opening moment for Oklahoma fans when they were like, oh, this is this is going to be a problem. Because, you know, the Kansas State game, you lose that one, but it was it was a well-fought game. And Kansas State just does some things that match up. They give Oklahoma yeah. trouble. Yeah, they've had t- they've had trouble with them. Yeah. And Kansas State, mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're a damn good football team. Climbing can coach his yep. ass off. So he, he is you know, like you, you, there's always play, you know, like I talk about it with stadiums and coaches, unless you're in a league, it's hard to recognize those guys. Sometimes like I know, um, uh, Whittingham, Utah, same thing. Exactly. It's, uh, you know, and I know uh, the guy at, um, on, uh, Oregon state, Jonathan Smith Mm -hmm. guys, an outstanding football coach and most of the country couldn't recognize him if he was standing next to him. So like there's, there's things like that that I don't think people get, He's very good, and he fits Kansas State so well. When they made that hire, I was like, that's the guy. They, they'd made so many hires after Bill Snyder trying to find the right guy. And I'm like, no, you need a guy that is hard-nosed and knows how to evaluate those two- and three-star guys and develop a program, not just, you know, oh, we're going to go. Because Kansas State's never going to recruit against Oklahoma and Texas. That's never going to happen. So no. you've got to find a guy who can maximize what you've got and has a vision for what he wants his program to be. Sorry, that's a – whole different tangent um (laughs) yeah sorry a a real problem in my life but uh you know there is um with the Kansas State game you kind of were like okay you know that that happens they they played fairly well at times you know they just they kind of fell down early and just could never really get going again TCU you're like holy shit this this is something is bad is happening here we suck then the Texas game the Texas game I thought was the I thought it was almost an admission from the coaching staff of we don't have what we need to be what we expect to be. Because um, mm. offensively, their best game plan was to run wildcat with their their tight end. Like that, that was the most successful offense they could come up with without Dylan Gabriel on the field. Now, I, I grant that the quarterbacks they had, they had a true freshman. 
that was very raw but talented was never ready to play. He's already transferred now onto Wisconsin. And then you had Davis Bevel, a guy who'd been at Pittsburgh and been a pack, back up to Kenny Pickett. But then when Pickett leaves, Bevel doesn't stay up there. Like, I mean, that, that tells you where, where he was and the future plans for yeah. Pittsburgh. So I, it just was like, okay, like I get it, but we can't – there's nothing Oklahoma can put together that is better than a wildcat with a 6'4 guy, you know, 240, and is a great athlete, but <laughs> he's not, he's not going to do it. I mean, Texas is like, okay, this worked for a few plays, and then after that, it, it was done, and it, the game was over before it ever started. So speaking of the offense, because I, I don't know that there's uh, – we'll get into a little bit, maybe a little bit later on the show, maybe some defensive guys to watch for. But speaking about offense specifically, something I wanted to talk about. I mean, we know Dylan Gabriel's coming back. He had a – you know, when he was on the field last year, not hurt, he had a really good year, 25 touchdowns yeah. and six picks. We know the numbers. So one of the things that I wanted to highlight about this, how are they going to replace Marvin Mims? and the other guys they've lost in the wide receiver room because that, to me, they went uh, – correct me if I'm wrong here, Eric, but um, I'm pretty sure that Oklahoma led the Big 12 in points per game from like 2016 to 2021, and then last year they fell to like sixth or seventh in the conference in points per game. I think they were one or two every year Lincoln Riley was the head coach. Yeah, in, and in so – Right, and so now they fall back to about 31, 32 points a game, and it's like – Man, I'm sitting here looking at this wide receiver room going, who's going to step up and like be the dude that Dylan Gabriel can throw to, guys that can just take over a series or you know stuff like that, like guys like Marvin Mims or Kennedy Brooks in the past, people like that. Who who should I be looking at? You know, I think the running back room is interesting interesting place to start because there's really nice young talent there uh, you look at guys like Gavin Sawchuk Gavin Sawchuk didn't have a carry last year until the bowl game against Florida State a good team that you know and, and that was a tough draw for Oklahoma almost everybody for Florida State played in the bowl game in a time when that does not happen everybody played Jordan Travis played you know they have a couple of defensive linemen that are NFL guys they played and you know came back this year as part of all the buzz on Florida State but so there was a lot of um there was plenty there to forget that Oklahoma's starting two tackles did not play in that game because they were both going to the NFL draft. And the backup at left tackle was a true freshman who blew out his knee on the third play of the game. And I don't mean to laugh about that, but I mean, that's how dire it was for them. They really just were out without so many key pieces. Uh, the starting yeah. center had gotten lost late in the game. So they were really playing with their starting two guards and nothing else. I mean, from from their original outset of, a, of an offensive line. And they had two backs go for over 100 yards against that Florida State defense. I mean, they, they were they were impressive. And like I said, the Gavin Sawchuck kid um, had a had a costly fumble late in the game against Florida State, really allowed Florida State to finally get back in the lead when they had just kind of been exchanging points in the second half. And that was kind of the death blow for Oklahoma. But it was um, – he flashes a lot. I mean, he's a, you know one of those. Another, not surprisingly, like I said, with with Riley, he was part of that last Riley class that he kind of handed off to Venables, and um, he was uh, you know national track guy, big time speed, about two hundred pounds. So Gavin Sawchuck is a guy that I could see becoming the number one back. But they've got guys like Javante Barnes, another one in that same class that really had a nice year last year. 
Uh, Marcus Major is a talented guy who's just been injury prone. Like, I mean, he's he's so snake bitten, whether it's injuries or he just, you know, th- there were some times early in his career where you could tell wasn't always mentally engaged and stuff, and they had some problems kind of keeping him focused. But I think that's largely been cleared now that he's deep into his career. At receiver, it's kind of a crapshoot. Like, I mean, there, there is – so you've got Jalil Farouk, clearly the most talented and experienced guy in the room. I, he's an NFL-type guy if it all comes together. It's just you haven't seen him. I mean, he struggled with drops. He's had a few issues. Now, they'll do some different stuff with him. They'll run him on some jet sweeps. They like to do a lot of different things to get him the ball in different ways. Um, I think the wild card, the guy that everybody probably should watch, is a guy named Andrell Anthony. Played at Michigan. Uh, for those that remember, a couple years ago in that Michigan-Michigan State game, he had like 180 yards, a couple touchdowns, really blew up as a true freshman for Michigan. And then from that point on, just kind of vanished. Like it's kind of hard to explain how a guy. Oh, on it's that not big hard stage. to explain at all. It's not hard <laughs> to explain at all when you got Michigan's quarterbacks. You know, the last few seasons. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty uh, easy to vanish in that offense. Sure, I'm you know, but I mean, if you can get 200 yards with Cade McNamara delivering you the ball, you'd think somebody <laughs> can find a way to get some plays. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, he he is one of those guys. Big, I mean, a lot of speed, kind of kind of fits that Marvin Mims role. He's going to stretch the field. He's going to do some stuff vertically. And I mean, that's that's Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator's whole thing. He wants to go downfield. They want to attack you. They want to stretch you both vertically and horizontally. They, they want to do a lot with you. And so I think that is what you're going to see. I, again, the the tight end room, they got Austin Stogner back from South Carolina. I I don't expect a lot from the tight end group. I think it's kind of if, if it can be good enough, you know, it doesn't hurt you, fine. But I, I think receiver and running back is where they're going to have to find kind of the dynamic playmaking. Hmm. Well, they do have General Booty at tight end now, so and that cannot be a coincidence that General Booty plays tight end. I'm just saying. Oh, uh, Here we go. That <laughs> you know, I I really wish that was a that was a real story, but I have to give OU credit for having having the I don't know I don't know what you want to call it, but having the guts to do it because a lot of people are like oh that's that's not a joke a football program should be making like. It's college football, man. Put your pearls yeah, down. We're, we're all going to be fine here. Yeah, lighten yeah. up. So moving on from from the, the receivers and the running backs, um, I would like to get your thoughts on my my personal favorite football players, and that's the the O-lineman. Um, I know Anton Harrison is is moving on. He's prob- potentially late first-round pick, yeah. um, early second. And I, I believe the other tackle is, is – Yeah, one year Morris. Mm-hmm. Okay, so are those the only two guys, or are they bringing the other three back? They, they, they have two back. Uh, Andrew Rain, the starting center, um, he'll be back, and then McCade Matower, uh, the right guard, will be back. They also lost Chris Murray. The starting left guard was a UCLA transfer, like a three-year starter, but there's a there's a good chance, you know, and I don't mean this as an offense to Chris Murray, like the guy they have behind him is a more talented player. It's just can they get him to be a consistent player? Well, I'm just trying to figure out because they gave up 31 sacks last year, and yeah. they they didn't they didn't consistently I I didn't think run the ball that kind of fits and spurts. So I'm just trying to figure out if they're going to be any better up there because you know you talk about the running back room being talented, and at a certain point it it stops mattering if your line sucks. <laughs> and that and that's fair. Um, you know, last year 
they they had again, like I said, they had to play some musical chairs a little bit because they kind of it was rare that they had all five guys ready to go. And I mean, and obviously, part of that's just football. We we all know that injuries come and go, but they like one A. Morris, I think, played seven of twelve games at right tackle. Now, the guy that will replace him is Tyler Guyton. Um, in much the same way that Anton Harrison went last year from a guy that, you know, if, oh, if he has a good year, he could maybe be a second-day pick. You know, it was kind of the conversation this time last year to being a guy that's got, like you said, kind of got a chance to be a back-end first-rounder. Tyler Guyton is a guy that nobody's talking about right now, and if in a year's time somebody was like, he's a top-15 pick, it would not shock me. He, he is literally that gifted and talented. This is a guy, hardly played any high school football, was supposed to be a walk-on at TCU, kind of ended up falling into a late scholarship. They had a spot open up, goes to TCU for a year. Everybody figures out that he's 6'7", 280, and you know, runs like a power forward. Like, I mean, he's just a freak of nature and ends up transferring to Oklahoma. I don't think they really wanted to play him a lot last year. I think it just kind of ended up that's the way it had to go. And so this year, I think he could really come on. Um, at left tackle, you've got Walter Rouse, the Stanford transfer. Guy started like 50 games. I mean, like he, he's played so much football and was a big deal for them. Like I said, I don't know if the injury that I mentioned earlier to a guy named Jacob Sexton doesn't happen in the bowl game. I don't know if they get involved with Walter Rouse. But to have that as your fallback playing a guy that's, you know, been a fringy all pack 12 guy for a couple of years, that's going to be your starting left tackle. That's a good sign. Um, now, Rouse is coming off a of shoulder surgery. He didn't get to take part in spring practice. So there's there's even some caveats to that. I mean, there, there's some problems. Inside, left guard is Savion Bird. That's the guy I was mentioned earlier. Super talented. Former top 100 recruit in the country. Was a big land for them a couple years ago. Very violent. Very physical. Like, he, he's the kind of guy that when you look back at those OU offenses, like in the Murray-Mayfield era, they had those guys. People love to talk about, like, oh, Mayfield-Murray throwing the ball over. Go back and watch those teams. Those teams were nasty up front. They, they wanted to hit you in the mouth. Guys like Orlando Brown, Drew Samia, uh, Ben Powers that just signed a big NFL contract. Those guys were all on that team. And they were just physical and violent up front. And he has some of that, and I wonder if he can be kind of a tone setter for that offensive line that I think has, for a variety of reasons, maybe gotten a little soft at times. Like just wasn't as physical as they needed to be. Uh, right guard is McCade Matower, kind of like Rouse, a Pac-12 transfer. He came in last year, started every game at right guard. I think McCade is a consistent player, has been good for Oklahoma in a lot of ways, but he's not a dominant force. I mean, he's he's the lesser piece of this offensive line in my opinion what'll be interesting is there's a young guy jake taylor that they like a lot works him at left tackle this spring because they're kind of like i said with rouse being out they've they've kind of just had to make it work at left tackle this spring until they can kind of figure out where all their best pieces are jake taylor wouldn't shock me if they give him a long look at right guard because he is a he's the definition of the offensive lineman with like the mullet and the violent, you know, like just, you know, probably drives a monster truck with t- giant tires. And like, he, he's just, I mean, like he, he's a, he's kind of a stereotype, but like he is that kind of guy. Like I'm talking about with bird, he plays with an edge that I think, Oh, you could use that I think would, would serve them well. And I think that's, you know, kind of what you're talking about with the offensive line. Like I will say in their defense to a degree, some of those sacks, Dylan Gabriel, if I had any fault with him last year, I thought at times his trigger was slow. Like it was just, 
you need to get rid of that. You got to get out of there. You're, you're waiting too long. And I think now, again, it's 31 sacks. That's not all Dylan Gabriel. I'm not saying that at all. But there were times when you're like, you didn't have to lose those eight yards. You could have gotten out of that. And I thought sometimes he was just a little late in those decisions. So I, I think there's a kind of chicken of the egg. But I do, in the end, expect this unit to actually be better in spite of losing some pieces because I think there's more top-end talent in the starting five. It's just a matter of what you're going to get out of it. Hmm. Yeah, and they got a couple of uh, freshmen, I believe. What is it? Uh, uh, Kate, what? Oh, God, it's Kate escaping Green. me. Yeah, Caden Green and uh, yep. Josh Bates. Mm-hmm. You give those guys yep. any chance to get in the mix early if shit goes south real quick, fast, and in a hurry? If I was going to pick right now who your starting left tackle is, if Walter Rouse, like I said, coming off a of shoulder surgery, mm-hmm. uh, had the surgery in December, they think he's going to be ready. I mean, like they, they feel like that's going to be okay. Yeah. But if something should go wrong or he needs a few weeks to kind of get up to speed, I think Caden Green's your starting left tackle. Uh, so, you know, that, that would be – they really like him. He, he's one of those guys, you know, top 50 player in the country. was oh, a yeah. big-time guy's, recruit. Yeah, guy's a fucking animal. And, yeah, and so I, it's – and it sounds – you know, because you guys know how it is. Like, they, there's all these re- recruiting rankings, which I'm involved with, so I'm not shooting any of those down. But you yeah. get that. But you don't know what you got until they get there and they start facing guys that are their size, that are their level of athleticism. Oh, but, yeah. boy, he's hit the ground running. He's impressed people. So uh, with Josh Bates, same deal. And – Josh Bates is, you know, while Caden's this 6'5", super athletic guy, Josh is your center, man. He's 6'2", 6'3", but nasty. I mean, like, he just wants to get you in a phone booth and beat the crap out of you. Like, that's how he plays football. Uh, his dad played at Colorado on the, some of those great, you know, 2000s teams with Chris Brown and those running games where they were really physical up front. So he understands what you're trying to do in the run game up front. He's a smart kid, and I he – I think there's a chance he becomes OU's backup center and OU's starting center, who I, I think I kind of glossed over a second ago. Andrew Rain, he's had injury problems, you know, shoulder stuff. Um, like I said, missed the back half of last year with a shoulder. He had to have shoulder surgery uh, following the West Virginia game. So if you told me Josh Bates starts some games next year, wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, that's very possible. Hmm. So what about up front defensively? What, <laughs> what are they bringing back and – because I know you said depth was an issue, but you know, did they? I guess who did they add to correct that? Well, yeah, I mean, there's no question they return a fair amount. I mean, like the the, the big loss is Jalen Redmond. Uh, you know, for those that are NFL Combine junkies, he went to the Combine and just blew up. He had a great workout and has really impressed some people. But Jalen was always one of those guys that you knew that was there. You knew the athleticism was there, but snap in, snap out, you didn't see the level of play that you thought you would get from an athlete of his caliber. So I, I think it's a, it's a loss they can bear. With inside, you've got Isaiah Coe, uh, an experienced guy. Isaiah Coe is kind of a great story. He's their best interior defensive lineman as far as returning guys. Isaiah Coe, under the previous regime, I'm not even sure was truly wanted. He kind of committed and nobody really understood. Like, it, it wasn't clear that he had a scholarship. Like, he just kind of committed to an idea that he had a scholarship and was following his buddy Perry on Winfrey, that I know some people remember who, you know, kind of was a, you know, had a, was a nice draft pick last year. So, but he's a solid kind of spark plus nose tackle kind of guy, but has some, has some ability to rush the passer. Um, and they think he's, his best football is still kind of in front of him, you know, if you talk to the staff. 
one of the interesting moves is Jonah Lalu, a kid that transferred from Hawaii last year. Uh, you know, came in about 6'5", 265, 270, big, you know, kind of, you know, poly guy. And um, he uh, he's moved inside, a defensive tackle, and they seem really happy with what he's doing. Uh, very, like I said, very long guy, very physical. They think he can be a pass rusher inside. And then they got Devon Sears, who everyone kind of overlooked, a, a transfer from Texas State. And you kind of thought, well, you know, you look at his stats, like pro football focus, he played like, I don't know, six games for Texas State, had, you know, maybe 80 snaps all year. Like, it wasn't anything that you're like, oh, yeah, oh, you should be after that guy. But they watched his tape, and they liked him, and they think he can be an interior pass rusher for them and kind of impact um, impact the game. But defensive tackle, I don't think there's any question. If I looked at this roster and said, what's the biggest hole or biggest question mark? I think it's defensive tackle. I think that's that just is what it is. Um, there, I, I think there is a chance for that to be a solid group. But I... I don't see like at other positions I can get to the point where I'm like, okay, this guy comes along, this guy does what they think he can do or lives up to his recruiting rankings. That's a special player. I don't see that at defensive tackle. Like I think their best hope is that's a solid group that doesn't hurt them. All right. Well, I want to take uh, or move a little bit away from the positional kind of stuff here for a second. And I want to dive into the schedule for 2023 real quick, because it is kind of a weird season. You got a bunch of new teams in here. And I got to be honest, I think it sets up kind of nicely. Now, I don't know what the sentiment is, uh, you know, in Norman there, but I'm sitting here looking at this and if all goes correct, I expect Oklahoma to be 5-0 and going into the Texas game. I mean, is the sentiment the same there for you guys? I mean, are you seeing what I'm seeing? I don't care who you play. You look at this schedule. I mean, and I, I agree completely with you. If you're not 5-0 and walking that Texas game, you're, I'm not sure you've made the adjustments you were hoping you'd made. I mean, yeah, you you're in deep shit. The problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because yeah. you've got Iowa State in Norman. I mean, Cincinnati under a new staff themselves, rebuilding a roster like that. Those are games, oh, you, I mean, like if the, the point I keep coming back to is like you look at this schedule, look at it from beginning to end. If OU's not six and seven last year, that looks like a playoff schedule. Like, oh, yeah, okay. It really does. That, I, I swear Texas to God, that's exactly what I was scary thinking. Game. Yeah. Yeah. It, there, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, Man, normally, this would be like a, a 10 and a half or 11 win total from Vegas. Oh, and I yeah. I don't know what their win total is going to be, but <laughs> it's, it sets up really nice. Yeah. I mean, and like, you know, you even look at it like, okay, so you've got UCF, which I, I think could be a tricky game. But it's they got a week off after Texas, so you go through that whole war, that slugfest. Say you win, you lose, whatever happens. Like you have two weeks to prepare. Then you've got Kansas and Lawrence, which Kansas has given Oklahoma some trouble and is a better team than I think we all think of when we say the word Kansas. But like then you've got you know Oklahoma State, which I, I that feels like a they're, hammer they're the under trouble. team to me. Yeah, that yeah. that that. That's a shaky situation, man. They've lost mm-hmm. so much, and I don't think people recognize it yet. Um, but, you know, West Virginia at home, I mean, there, there's just – like usually when I look at an OU schedule, and we know, I mean, Oklahoma's had problems with these hiccup games and losing games they shouldn't lose. You can usually peg it. Like, okay, the week after Texas, they're going on the road. Yeah, here's the trap game. Yeah, exactly. Like it's something where you're like, oh, that's – or a Thursday night in Ames or something. You're like, okay, that that's a – that that's a game where you can see a problem, but so many of OU's teams that have given them trouble, Kansas State, which we talked about earlier, no Kansas State on the schedule. You've yeah, got no, TCU that's, that's in so Norman. Wild. Like 
It, it is. Oh yeah. It, it, it's a weird. It's it, believe me. I mean, I I've <laughs> personally, if I was in the Big a, Twelve, I'd have been like, oh yeah, you're gonna eject on the Big Twelve. Well, fuck you. I'm gonna schedule all your hard games on the road. That's what I would have done if I was uh, the Big Twelve. All in a row. It is. Week, I mean, weeks eight through yeah, twelve. Yes. <laughs> and you know, I don't know how Oklahoma should feel, but they're the one that got all three of the. Uh, excuse me, three of the four new guys. I mean, BYU. Yeah. Uh, UCF and uh, start off with Cincinnati. So that those schools, I mean, don't get me wrong, good program. Cincinnati was in the playoff a couple years ago. I don't mean any slight to any of them. They are all fully capable of beating Oklahoma, especially the Oklahoma we saw last year. But it is just one of those things where you're like, those, I mean, like UCF, that's going to be mid October. BYU, their first season in a real conference, like, man, that's, that's different. November is going to feel different on those bodies than it does most. Oh, yeah. We yeah, all, yeah. Defense. Playing week to week in a Power Five versus yeah. as an independent, it's a little different. Yeah, it's the same thing that we saw with TCU when they came into the Big Twelve. Like they had been rolling and they got there, and then all of a sudden it was. It took a couple years because your roster is just not. You don't have to have that same depth, so you generally don't have it. Yeah. Well, the last point I kind of wanted to touch on with regard to schedule, and this kind of ties into the whole show a little bit. My favorite thing. <laughs> And I, I shouldn't troll so hard, but my favorite thing to do on Twitter is troll all these Oklahoma fans that have been shouting SEC bias for all these years and crushing mm-hmm. all the people who are like SEC, and now they have to cheer along with us. So I kind of think that's funny, but it just means oh, more. Man. Yeah, it just means more. Yeah. Oh, and honestly, we- I'm a little worried <laughs> because I'm like, oh shit, here we go. Like Oklahoma coming into the SEC, man. I got to be honest. I just don't know that they're ready for that. And it could be a big fucking wake-up call when they've got a three-game stretch of like LSU, Texas A&M, and Georgia on their schedule one year. And it's like, shit, that's the three toughest games they've played in a row ever. So oh. I, I don't know what to what to make of that. And I don't know what OU fans and uh, beat writers like yourself think about it either. <laughs> It's a lot like what I just said about, you know, BYU, UCF, those guys coming into the Big 12. Like, it's a different animal. It just is. Like, I think it's on multiple levels. Like, I think OU fans that think they know what home experiences are like or what road experience <laughs> like, nah, man, you ain't no. been to Baton Rouge at night. Like, you don't oh, know yeah. what that's like. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a monster. Allow um, me to yeah. introduce so, you to Jordan Hare Stadium. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I, I've got relatives that went to Auburn and they tell story. I mean, like the, the stories are just unbelievable oh, yeah. in Oklahoma yeah. for all of the home success they've had. Like you look at their record and it stacks up with anybody. A, it's because they are so wildly more talented than who they're facing most of the time. But B, it's not because of a, a great home environment. I mean, there are there are different nights when you can point but like. When Oklahoma's crazy, OU fans remember that night. Like the the 2008 Texas game, when Stoops kind of challenged the fans, it was this whole thing, and then OU just came in, and it was a top-five matchup, and OU just blew the doors off Texas Tech that night. That's one of those ones people look back to. I'm like, guys, that's 15 years ago. Like, the SEC, LSU's nuts for more, you know, like Morehouse. Like, it's not the same thing. Like, you, it's, yeah. it's week in, week out. They are drunk and chaotic and angry. Like you, mm-hmm. you got to get there. And so we, we've actually had a, um, one of the big tailgating areas outside of Oklahoma. They kind of shut down. They've kind of privatized it. 
And so we've we've got a series of shirts going on our websites like Make Lindsay Street Great Again because we need people out there just, you know, drunk. I mean, like you need out, you know, like it needs to be people <laughs> need, like, ang- need to be a angry belligerent state. fans. Like, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but it is what it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, you could use a little more hostility in its crowd. It's It's got a little bit of a library feel sometimes. So, you know, that that's that's hmm. got to be better. But as far as the team. I think we know, like skill position wise. Oh, you, oh, you go out there with anybody. I mean, their athletes can match up. It, it's what do you have in the trenches? Now, I think yeah. it's getting better. I think you're starting to see. Um, now, it also helps that you've got an S and C guy like Jerry Schmidt that was at Texas A and M as Texas A and M was making the same transition. Like he yeah. understands your offensive lineman. There's no room for the 280 pound good athlete. Nope, nope, nope. They got to be 310 no. pound monsters. Like that. That's yeah. just that is what it is. And then defensively, the nice part for Oklahoma that, that they get this little head start. Now, I, I there's part of me that wonders if you put a true serum in Brent Venables, if he wouldn't have minded if it was going to 2025 and just have a little more time to build up his depth and his talent on his defensive front because it's just not where it is. But you look at those Clemson teams. I mean, those defensive lines stack up with anybody, any, anytime, anywhere. And so he yeah. now it's just a matter of can he do it at Oklahoma, which I, you know, I think he can. But I, I mean, until you've done it, you don't know. I mean, like, let's just let's just be real about it. And how do they develop those guys? Like, I, you know, I, I think that's the question. Now, like I said, they signed a big time five star, you know, top 10 guy in the country last year out of Kansas City. And they've got a chance to do more. There's a, you know, a big time five-star kid in this class. And I think that's why this year is so important because it's not just about, you know, stabilizing the program and showing out, okay, everything's okay. You've got the guy you need at the head of the, at the ship, but at the same time, you've got to be able to recruit. And if you fire off another six and seven, there's only so long you can sell the future and what could be and how it can be. You, you go 12 and 14 or something in your first two years, People are going to be like, uh, you're going to have to show me something before I'm ready to, you know, sign my five star self who could go play at Alabama or Ohio State. If I'm going to come play for you, I, I need some proof of concept. Oh yeah, well they're they're going to have to get their checkbook out. Is basically what it's going to amount to. Like uh, the University of Georgia has a 4.5 million dollar recruiting budget. Okay, that's <laughs> du- that's more than double what Alabama spends yeah. on recruiting. Okay, yep. like Alabama spends like just over two million. So when you take those kinds of numbers and then you look at Oklahoma, like Oklahoma State last year, I, I was reading about this today. Oklahoma State last year had like a four hundred thousand dollar recruiting budget, and Georgia's I, that, at four point five million. So, well, OU's going to have to get their the checkbook budget. out if they're going to recruit in the SEC. You you listen to Mike Gundy. I'm sure he probably returned some of that. Like he may not have used it all. Mike Gundy's not trying to recruit like that. <laughs> He's like, man, I, 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 you know, like we get who we get, man. <laughs> you got to stop with that shit. Like, Kurt, like I, I, I get in these situations all the time where I talk to people about recruiting, and they're like, oh, it's it's the coaches. I'm like, guys, the guy that just won two straight national titles spent his post game of the cocktail party telling everybody that would listen. It's about the guys on the field. Like I, I can coach my ass off, and if I don't have Johnny Five Star, I'm not winning anything. Like that, that yeah. doesn't. It's not coincidence. Like people are like, well, it's just you know Georgia and Alabama get all these guys. 
Yeah, because they're the guys everybody wants. Like, it's yeah. not coincidence the five stars have offers from Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia every damn time. Like, th- those are the programs that know what they're looking at. They've got a proof of concept, and they just beat the doors off everybody else. Mm. <sighs> All right. This is the feature presentation of the show there, yes. Josh. Um, oh, no. So you're you're about, <laughs> the, I don't, right offhand, like ninth the or ninth or tenth beat writer guest we've had on in the last couple sure. of months and i've asked everybody this same question and i'm i'm keeping the results and we're gonna take a look at who was right and who was wrong <laughs> at the end mm-hmm. of the season but uh at the end of each year we do our our little award show one of the awards is the conor mcgregor who the fuck is that guy award which goes to our breakout player of the year um you know someone comes kind of in off the map no no hype no fanfare no expectation has a big season um and really kind of puts his mark on the college season so if i asked you who do you think from the 2023 oklahoma sooners would be the most likely candidate to win the south end zone conor mcgregor award what name would you pick that's a good one. I, I will say I've mentioned most of the guys I would consider. I think defensively you talk about Billy Bowman. Like I said, he he was injured in that TCU game last year and was you know, people talk about Dylan Gabriel, and that's that's why OU fell apart. But Billy Bowman's injury, they they weren't right defensively from that point on. I mean, like you look at the first three games, they played pretty well on defense, but it, it wasn't the same. But I think the guy I would ultimately go with is probably Gavin Sawchuk, the running back, because I think it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier there's this belief that jeff levy and that josh heupel that what do they call it veer and shoot is one of the things heupel likes to refer to it as that offensive scheme like they there's this idea that like oh they they throw it 60 times a game no man those are run teams like they they want to run you to death they want to beat you to death up front spread you out and then once you're out of space get your running backs just one-on-one with linebackers like it's i mean it's it sounds really simple when i talk about it here but obviously there's a lot going on but again, with his size, his speed, I, and again, I've got one game of track record I'm going on. Like, I mean, he was a guy that was a big high school recruit, but I, I admit I had some questions about his tape. Like, I thought he was a, a good player. I thought maybe a little overvalued nationally. But what I saw against Florida State, he's running over defenders. He's breaking tackles. And again, I know he's a legitimate, like, 10, 500-meter guy. He can fly. And so they get him out in space, and he's going to be a problem. So – if you looked at the end of the year and he's 1,300 yards rushing as a redshirt freshman, I, I won't be shocked at all. He he really has that kind of ability in that offensive line that we talked about. That comes together. I Again, I and I think we're, we're laying the path for how OU gets back to where they expect to be, and I think he's a big part of that. I think they'll really work hard to make that the case. Like They'll, they'll try to make me right because they need that to happen if they're going to go where they want to go. All right. Awesome. Gavin Sacha, I think he's the third running back, maybe second or third running back. We've had some receivers and some defensive mm-hmm. players and a guard even. Oh, so, that's nice. Pulling, yeah. That, that's, oh, yeah. That, that would be very on brand for me. Anybody that knows me, like, Josh is going to pick a lineman. No, I, I, I'm not living I'm living in reality. The, the average OU fan could – or, you know, not average OU fan, but the average college football fan doesn't give a shit about any OU offensive lineman. Like that, no, we that's gave, not we gave that B rider some we gave that B rider some bonus points. It was like, oh man, yeah. bonus points for mentioning an offensive lineman in that category. That's what I'm yep. talking about. Yeah, if you're gonna come on a podcast if yeah, if you're gonna come on a podcast and and hype up a, a red shirt freshman guard, this is the one yeah. to do it. That, yeah. that I love it. No, I'm I'm all for it. All right. 
Well, right. uh, Eric, do you got anything else for Josh before we let him get out of here? I don't. I think we've taken up enough of his time, and uh, I'm curious to see what Oklahoma does. They're still, I still haven't made up my mind on these guys. I don't know that anyone has, to be honest. I, I, I have not. I, two uh, weeks ago, we were, we were doing our own podcast, and I was, we did something several years ago. We kind of talked about a Doom podcast where I was like, this is all the shit that could go wrong, and it was the 2021 <laughs> season. And I'm not yes. kidding you. I, like, I was like, Spencer Rattler has questions, guys. Like, we need to accept this. And everybody's like, yeah, I mean, he was going to win the Heisman. I mean, he was the Heisman favorite at that point in time. And I'm not yeah. saying, like, oh, look at me. I got it right. Like, it just was like a lot of that shit kind of came to pass. And then, so I'm trying to get him to do it. Well, I go on vacation a week ago and I come back and I'm like feeling pretty good about this team, but that may have been the alcohol and the, you know, the sun, <laughs> like I, it may yes. have just made me overly cheery, but you know, so I, I was telling some people they are like, you sounded really upbeat about OU. I was like, I'll be back on my bullshit soon enough, but I only you know, sounded it, that way. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, it's temporary, man. Just a little, little, uh, catharsis, but, um, no. So like I said, I, I think it's one of the more interesting teams in the country because I see, I see six and seven. I think that's possible. I think it could happen again. Um, at the same time, again, you talk about this schedule. This team fires off 11 and one. I'm not going to be stunned about it. I'm just not because there is, they are more talented than any team yes. on their schedule, with the exception of Texas, by a pretty distant measure. Like it's not that close. And so, like, and usually, like you see you, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, you know, K State. They're all, they've got problems of their own. You know, they're fixing massive players that they've lost. There, there's, there's a lot there. There's no obvious thing where you're just like, I don't think they can get over that hill. We've got to see them close a 49 point gap with Texas. And that's, a, that's a hell of a thing to say. But I mean, again, like you're just, you're talking about talent. If they can get it in the direction they want it to go, there's nobody on that, that schedule they can't beat. Mm. All right, Eric. Yeah. Tag freezing cold takes. They're, Oklahoma's going oh, eleven to one. You heard it here. You heard it here, Oklahoma fans. John I don't, wish I, no, I don't think I did hear that. I don't know what you heard. I didn't hear that. I heard the same thing that I was thinking, which I could be talking to anything from six yep. to ten wins with these guys. <laughs> yep. like, Tag freezing cold. I, I would be surprised by four and eight. I would be surprised yeah. by twelve and zero. Oh. I wouldn't Agreed. be surprised by a whole lot in between those numbers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I do agree mm-hmm. that they're interesting. Maybe mysterious uh, yeah, is a better word, yep. but it, it will be interesting to see. I, I would like to see Dylan Gabriel get kind of stay on the field, stay healthy, and get back to that yep. UCF type form because he was a lot of fun yep. to watch. Absolutely, uh, and like I said, I mean there is. I, I think with them finally having a backup, they're comfortable with. They can do more with him this year, and that's that's kind of something they've been beating a drum about. So we'll see. I know you guys are trying to get out of here, so I'll keep I'll quit stretching it out on you, but. um yeah, so like I said, I, I think it's just it, it the range of outcomes. I, I just can't imagine there's many teams that have as wide a gap as they do from the the bottom of the barrel to how far they can go. Only one other one, and that's the podcast we did yesterday, and that's Nebraska. They could go one and eleven or about nine and three. It's it's yep. pretty wild. So I don't know what's gonna happen, but Josh, we thank you so much for uh, taking some time to come on and chat with us. And, uh, you know, maybe you guys can we, – we poke a lot of fun at Texas on this show. And we don't really poke much fun at Oklahoma. We just talk about how bad their tackling is. But we poke a lot mm. of fun at Texas. So if you guys happen to just come back and, like, curb stomp Texas this year, pencil us in and come on the show <laughs> and just completely blast Texas fans. Mm-hmm. And we will be here for it. And we will give you, like, all the airtime you want. So, yeah, perfect. when Gavin Sawchuck scores his fourth touchdown of the Red River game, <laughs> I will be 
I will be all over your DMs uh, to get you on that week. I love it. I love it. I'm in. I I will happily spike when I'm right about something. That that is not a problem. <laughs> Don't we all? All right. Yeah. Just have a few drinks before you come on, man. Well, uh, all right. We, we'll talk to you soon, Josh. Thanks for coming on, man. All right. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. Enjoyed it, guys. All right, Oklahoma, man. Let's effing go. That was pretty wild. It was, and it was it was a little different from the previous shows because I I came out of all those feeling like. I had questions answered, right? Good, bad, or otherwise. Mm. Like I, but I don't, I don't feel like I know any more about Oklahoma than I did before. <laughs> yeah. But, no, because I don't really. think anybody knows. Um, and I, I think that'll be kind of part of the intrigue. So I will probably be watching a lot of Oklahoma because I'm not going to make up my mind between now and the start of the season. It'll be after, you know, after, after the balls are snapped. What's their Vegas win total? Eight and a half. I haven't nine? seen I, I can't imagine it'd be that hot. Well, maybe with the schedule, I don't. I mean, they should be five and zero, oh, dude. They start off with Arkansas State, SMU, to Tulsa, Cincinnati, and Iowa State. So they should be five and zero oh going into the Texas game. And then on the back end, you got UCF, Kansas, Oak State, West Virginia at BYU, and then TCU to close out the year. So yeah, I mean, they'll be favored in at least ten games. Uh, yeah, dep- that, that's that's what I'm depending on. At. Depending on how. BYU plays this season that at BYU, they might be a, an underdog. If I had to I guess, they, they, they would be favored in 10 unless they, they show up and it's the same bullshit as last year, right? Can't fit the run, can't tackle, can't cover, can't rush the passer. Then, well, and Vegas gives Oklahoma so much credit too, though. I mean, they'll, they'll be favored in like 11 games this year. I mean, yeah. I'd be shocked if they're an underdog to anyone but Texas. So. I'm just saying, BYU at BYU is the only one I could right now that I could look at and say, I think there's maybe a chance depending, but yeah, I think probably seven and a half, seven and a half, eight and a half. Yeah. I would say like eight and a half, nine. That's pretty, mm. I mean, I think, I think they're, I think Vegas will be all over their nuts a little bit more than they should, but I mean, their, their uh, total last year was what, eight and a half or nine. It was right at it. It was up there a similar number. Um, yeah. Their total last year was nine and a half. Mm, yeah. There you go. And we took the under. So you, you and I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I don't know, man, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm more interested though, about after this season, it's kind of a weird, awkward season where them and Texas have like one foot out the door, but they're still hanging out. Like, eh, we're just here for the comments. I think it's, I think it's weird for us watching. And I think it's weird for the fans. I don't like once those guys get on the field, I I don't think it matters. Yeah. Any any more than football. than how much I pay for a loaf of bread at the store. Like, I don't think. Yeah. It, so then Jason, what are we looking at uh, next episode? I believe we're going to be talking about 2024 quarterbacks. Uh, the draft episode will probably come out probably the day before the draft, honestly. So there might be some light coverage of 2023, but mostly we're going to focus on 2024 quarterbacks mm-hmm. and uh, look at some of those uh, big passers that are going to be coming out next season. Guys like Drake may Caleb Williams, might just breeze over them and then maybe look at some of the more, you know, interesting guys that could make big moves next year up the board rather than the guys we expect to go in the top 10. Yeah. One of those guys we talked about tonight, uh, Dylan Gabriel. Indeed. Yeah. He's one of them, you know, guys like Will Rogers, Mississippi state, um, Tyler Van Dyke at Miami, who's rumored to possibly be in the transfer portal right now or about to be heading to it. So it's going to be interesting. But, yeah, we'll have that for you next week. Or, well, we'll have when you're listening to this, we'll have it for you in a couple of days. So 
And uh, you guys can find us on social media at South End Zone Pod. That's youtube.com slash South End Zone Pod. And then at South End Zone Pod on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. You can follow me at Jason Bailey 47. You can follow Eric at Eric Mulhair. And we'll be back with you in a couple of days to talk NFL draft. Catch you then. Later. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here.